Well, church, it's, it's hard to believe, but we have arrived at the last week of our series, Reimagine, a series which, through which, right, we have been discovering a fresh expression of Christ's mission for the church, and more specifically, for our church, along with those missional motives, missional non-negotiables. It has been a series where we have been asked to flex our spiritual imaginations, uh, to submit to the Spirit's movement for the sake of His kingdom work. We've been asked to reimagine the mission, the mission field, what it means to make disciples. We've been asked to reimagine our identity, our relationships, our growth, and today, Today we're asked to reimagine our contribution or our participation in God's kingdom. Friends, one of my my favorite movies of all time is Ocean's Eleven. Now, I'll leave the debate about which is better, the original with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., or the updated version with other people. I'll leave that debate up to you or to the interwebs. Uh, But the premise, the premise of the film is quite simple, right? Danny Ocean wants to steal about $150 million from the casino world of Vegas. And he employs 10 of his friends, most with very nefarious backgrounds, but each, each with a unique skill necessary to make the heist work. Uh, Everything from a bomb expert to a pickpocket to an aerialist to a con artist to a body man and, of course, the man with money, the man who's going to fund it. Now, to be honest, the film, both the original, the better version, or the updated version, both are super fun. But what strikes me about the film is how every person on Danny Ocean's team must participate in order to make the heist work. Everybody has to play their part. And without each person doing their part, the heist is dead in the water and Danny Ocean is back in jail. And there's a moment, friends, there's a moment at the end of the updated version of the film where each of the team members are standing outside the fountain at the Bellagio, and they're just basking in the glow of a job well done. They're savoring the moment, that recognition, that they played a part in something that was greater than themselves. Now, I've seen similar moments on the faces of sports teams, of marching bands, of theater companies, and even in business teams. Teams that were successful because each person on the team brought a particular gift or skill to the whole of the team. And it's, it's when the whole team working together towards a desired end where each individual brings their contribution to the whole, that people recognize that unique power that teams possess. And to be a part of something like that truly is unique. 
Now here's the thing, church, if we as Holy Cross are gonna live out the missional mandate to walk with everyday people every day as we live out the abundant life of Jesus, then every person must play their part. Every person needs to participate in the ministry and the mission. And without each person doing their unique part, the whole, this body of faith will suffer. In fact, the participation of every individual, uh, from newborn to aged, from longtime member to new member, from the introverted to the extroverted, and if we don't all play our part, then we will limp our way in the way of Jesus. Friends, this is what today's text actually has us reimagine. What does it mean to participate fully in the ministry and the mission of Christ Jesus? So uh, let's get into the text. You'll need a Bible, either the one you brought, the one that's on a device, or the one that we provide. And we're going to go together to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1. I know, I know, I know that's not where Sean read, I get it, but you all know me well enough by now to know that we can't just jump into the middle of a text without a little bit of context. So, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1 is where we'll start. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. Uh, here's what Paul writes. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. All right, again, just, just for a bit of reference, uh, Paul here is shifting gears from the first half of the book of Ephesians. Now, the first half of the book of Ephesians is primarily about our relationship with God through Christ. What it is Christ has done for you and me to bring us into a relationship with himself. And now Paul is shifting gears to the second half of Ephesians, which is what it means then to live out that life in the world. What does it mean to live out our Christian life. In fact, chapter four is the opening of what it means to live out the Christian life. And Paul says in the opening then of what it means to live out that life, he says, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling. Now, the, the word worthy here is a bit tricky because it carries with it the, the subtleties of equilibrium. So I, so I want you to imagine here, just in your mind for a second, of a scale, right? Kind of an old-fashioned scale where, you, where you're putting things on either side, right? Equilibrium is when those two sides finally come to rest at the same place. So here, in this word of living a life worthy of the calling, Paul is saying that we are to live a life equal, in equilibrium to the calling that God has placed on us in Christ. Live a life that is equal to that, that calling that God has on us in Christ. Live a life as a sinner who has been redeemed by Christ the crucified. 
Live a life as one who's been set free from the captivity of guilt or shame. Live life as one who sees the world and God's activity in it. Live life as one who gets to live in the liberty of the gospel. Live life as one whom God has relentlessly pursued. Another way to say this, live life as one who has been born in the waters of grace, who's been born again. Live a life that is equal to, live a life in equilibrium to what it is God has done for you in Christ. Let's keep going. This is verse two. A beat completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, church, this is key, right? Living life in equilibrium to the calling that God has on our life will be in a communal context. Living a life in equilibrium to the call that God has us will be lived in a communal context. A community that is united into one body, that is united in one spirit, in one hope, in one faith, in one baptism, a united body all under one Lord. Living a life equal to the calling means living in the body of Christ. It's living within the spiritual family. Now, this, this idea that Paul is trying to unpack is not new to St. Paul. In fact, Jesus teaches about it in the Gospels, in that reading from Matthew that Laura read at the beginning of service this morning. Uh, Jesus asks in that Gospel, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So church, this is important, right? It's worth writing down. Our, our redemption is not, our redemption is not just a personal redemption, but it is a redemption into a community, into a family of faith. It is redemption into a purpose, into a mission into the ministry of caring for one another. And it requires, it requires everybody's unique contribution and participation. This is why Paul says now in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, Christ has gifted grace in unique measure to each and every person in the family. I'll say it again. Christ has gifted grace in unique measure to each and every person in the family. This is why he will go on to say, 
Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Now, in many ways, the list which Paul gives here in Ephesians 4 of apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, it's not exhaustive in terms of the gifts that God gives by his Spirit. If we go to the book of Romans or 1 Corinthians, we'll see list after list of those spiritual gifts which he gives to his people But all of it, whether from 1 Corinthians 13 or from Romans or from Ephesians 4, all of it is for the building up of the body, of growing in maturity, of attaining this fullness in Christ. And the list here in Ephesians chapter 4, it is indicative, certainly, of unique gifts inside of the family. And it's when each person exercises those gifts, contributes those gifts, that the body of Christ is equipped, both for her work in mission uh, to those who are outside the family of faith, but also to the work of her ministry to those who are inside the family of faith. In other words... If people neglect their unique contribution to the ministry and the mission of the church, if people choose to be passive participants in the family rather than active members of the family, then the church won't be fully equipped for the ministry and the mission. Friends, when you and I posture our hearts towards receiving only, what do I get from church, rather than posturing our hearts towards what we can give, when we posture our hearts towards getting only, then our lives are not oriented around Jesus' words and ways. I'm often saddened when families send email lamenting the lack of programming or programming that fits their calendar, but have rarely, if ever, stepped up to volunteer in any of the programs that we already have. I'm saddened by those who demand worship times fit into their schedule but who only participate one quarter of the Sundays in a year. I'm discouraged when students tell me that they're too young to be a part of the mission and the ministry as if age excludes them from the meaningful work of the church. And I'm angry when seniors exclaim to me, we've done our time, pastor. Now we just want to sit and play games and leave the work of ministry and mission to the youngins. Now let me, let me just pause and say, uh, this isn't all on you, which I'm sure by now it is how it feels. 
No doubt the leadership of the church has failed to provide ways and avenues for greater participation by all of God's people. Now, if I can be frank, it's much easier to do the work ourselves than to rely on God's people or to rely on the 20% of people who have always done it. Friends, I, I own that failing. But this is not the way of Jesus. And it's not the posture of his heart. And it's not indicative of disciples who are attempting to orient their lives around the words and the ways of their Savior. The assumption that somebody else is responsible or that somebody else will do the work or that it's somebody else's time so that I can relax is crippling to the body of Christ. It's crippling to the church at large. It's crippling to our church as we limp along in the way of Jesus. Walking with everyday people every day is something everyone can and must participate in. Living out the abundant life of Jesus is not possible in a passive way. To live out his life, one must participate. One must bring their unique contribution. One must give their whole selves to the ministry on the mission of Christ on earth. This is, after all, the posture and the way of Jesus. He never engages in a passive way, assuming that it should be somebody else's responsibility to save the world, that it should be somebody else's responsibility to go through suffering, that he should sit back and relax as somebody else goes through death. The posture in the way of Jesus is to be active active in the ministry to those who are following and active in the mission to those who are not yet following. Active in a way that will require his whole self to participate fully, to bring his unique contribution to the world. The way of Jesus is not passive but active. Active in suffering and death and life in resurrection so that you and I, friends, you and I, sinners though we are, are redeemed by Christ the crucified. We're set free from guilt and shame. We're able to live in the liberty and the freedom of the gospel. That active work of Christ in a cross and in an empty tomb puts us into a place to live out his grace. So Paul will say, Live a life that is in equilibrium to what God has done for you in Christ. Live a life that is worthy of that calling. A life worthy of that calling is to bring our unique contribution, our full participation into the ministry and the mission of Christ in and through this place. You know, church, there are beautiful, beautiful moments when I sit back and I'm just amazed and moved to tears as God's people 
bring their unique contributions and gifts to the ministry and the mission of Christ. I'm amazed and moved to tears when I see students who are willing to serve in worship, sometimes on a worship team, sometimes in an AV booth, sometimes greeting people as they come, sometimes ushering people in and out of their seats. I'm amazed by the families who give of their time and of their energy to serve downstairs in family Sunday school, to serve as confirmation table leaders, to invest in high schoolers. I'm amazed by seniors who don't believe that they've retired from faith. And they use their unique skills and gifts to sew, to knit, to crochet gifts for God's people and the world around. I'm moved to tears when I think about students who in our public school will gather regularly in auditoriums and cafeterias to pray that they might be salt and light to classmates in a hallway and teachers they encounter. I'm amazed and moved to tears that those who serve as educators have this unique opportunity to press into the students in their care, to be love and light and grace and peace. I'm amazed and moved to tears when people in our family of faith will begin to talk to their neighbors, will love them and care for them in bowls of ice cream and pans of lasagna. I'm amazed when one of our seniors rediscovers that for most of their life they've never engaged with people who aren't Christians. And now in a new way, begins leaning into those without faith. There are moments, church, when our family of faith brings those unique contributions and gifts, and they offer them in service of the gospel, in service of the ministry and the mission that Christ has for this church, in this place, at this time. You know, church, if, if we're going to live out this missional mandate to walk with everyday people, every day living out the abundant life of Jesus, then we're going to have to be rooted together in Christ. We're going to have to be intentional about the relationships that we engage in. We'll have to posture ourselves to one of continual growth, to always learning. But if we're going to live out this missional mandate, to walk with everyday people every day as we live out the abundant life of Jesus, then we must participate and contribute, each with our unique skills and gifts for the sake of the mission and the ministry. Imagine, if you will, or reimagine, perhaps, what would happen if all of God's people, if all the brothers and sisters in this family of faith gave all of themselves for the sake of the mission and the ministry of Christ, imagine what would happen. 
of each and every person brought their unique skills and gifts to that mission and that ministry. I imagine that it would be a lot like the book of Acts when those disciples who had been discipled by Jesus, a unique cast of characters if you stop and think about it. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus would draw to himself someone like Peter, who opens his mouth far too quickly, who eats his feet more than he should. I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus would draw to himself somebody like Matthew, whose detail would matter in the retelling of a gospel. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus would draw to himself James and John, sons of thunder, quick to come to Jesus' aid. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus would draw to himself someone like Simon the Zealot, whose military experience is perhaps good for the protection of God's people. And I don't think it's a mistake that God would draw you and me into his orbit so that like Peter or Matthew or James or John or Simon, we might bring those unique gifts and skills as we enter into the mission field, to the places where we live, work, and play. I imagine, if we could reimagine, that if the brothers and sisters who call this place home, if we as the family of faith gave our whole selves and participated fully, we'd see revival like the book of Acts. As Peter, James, and John, and Matthew simply contributed their gifts and their skills. As we step forward into the future church, We do so to live out that mission of walking with everyday people every day, living out the abundant life of Jesus. We'll do it rooted in Christ. We'll do it as we're intentional in our relationships. We'll do it as we continue to learn again and again and again. And we'll do it as we contribute our unique gifts and skills to this family of faith. So may God strengthen us to that end today and always. Amen? And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.